You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Oz Network for our prize series, the random episode recaps, rewatches. It's actually a rewatch and a recap. We do it all. Uh, we are here to talk about Creature, as hinted on our last episode where we talked about Enter the Badlands or Into the Badlands, uh, which you should go listen to on the Oz Network download. Um, but we are here to talk about Preacher Season 2, Episode 1. Yes. Is that right? Correct. Okay, we watched the same one? Okay, good. <laughs> Boy, this would have uh, been awkward. <laughs> I was actually a little bit, I'm just going to tease it now. I was actually um, unsure of which episode I told you to watch. And I tried to go back into our chat history and find it, and I couldn't find it. So I was like, please tell me I said this one. Oh, uh, thankfully I did. You did because I found that at three uh, thirty in the morning this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Uh, at least we watched the same episode. Anyway, let's get into it. I'm Rossi, and tell the bishop no more church events. Not after last time. And my name is Colin, and I'm trying not to exaggerate here, but of all the stupid things you've said, that's the stupidest. Uh, starting off insulting me. <laughs> So we talked a little bit last time. I don't remember too much. It's a little bit. Um, but we talked about your familiarity with the show because I remember, you know, in debating about what to show you that you had known some about it. You had seen that maybe a clip or some episodes or something like that. So can you just kind of fill everyone in on like what your history with it? How much you know? Do you know anything? Well, what's the deal? I'm a little bit more knowledgeable than I was with Enter the Badlands last week. Because uh, going into that, I mean, it's no big mark. <laughs> yeah. Like you were not, you were not high school at all. <laughs> zero familiarity last week. This time, uh, I had before the show came out, I had some knowledge of the comics, just the basic premise and everything. Uh, and when the show came out, I remember thinking, "Oh, okay, that's based on that comic. I should either read the comic or watch the show." And I never got around to it, and it became one of these things where I said, "Yeah, you know, one of these days, I'd like to watch this all the way through." And it never happened. And now here I am, jumping into the premiere of Season 2 without having seen anything of Season 1. So that's basically my entire history of Preacher. Just basic knowledge of the character, his power, everything from more from the comics and the TV series. Um, But I do have to say, I found this infinitely easier to follow, having no knowledge (laughs) of the first season that I did with Into the Badlands last week. Yeah, I mean, Into the Badlands was a bit of a mid kind of intensity of storylines. This one was actually a lot better, which is why I felt more comfortable picking it. Not that the last episode was a bad pick, because it, it's a good episode. It's just kind of hard to, hey, welcome to the show. Here's everyone, and here's six people who are dying or something <laughs> like that. Uh, this one's a little bit different. I, I toyed between another, like I was telling you, I toyed between two episodes, at one earlier which really highlighted the Genesis power, and this one, which really was more story-driven. In the end, we went with the story-driven one, uh, just because it's kind of the whole point of the show is to introduce different stories, see what's out there, kind of explore different topics and all that kind of stuff. So that's why I kind of ended up going with this one. There's an interesting like layer on top of just picking an episode that progresses the story, because season one is really kind of slow and it doesn't really matter in the end 
um, throughout the episode that we watched today, they talk about this Texas town that blew up. That was the town that they were from at the end of the last episode of season one. Their town like explodes in some crazy way and everyone dies. So that's why they're on the road? Well, they were on the road anyway, like as on their quest to find God. Mm-hmm. But as they left, the town exploded and they have no idea. Uh, as you, and there's a scene where Tulip's asking someone at the bar what's going on, and then she leaves before she finds out. So that that's kind of where they're at right now. They're in this kind of transition of where they're going to, and all the people that you learn about in the beginning, like they're they're all dead. So I figured this would be a good point. Like there's not too much that you're missing, really, especially because you know the premise of him sort of having this mm-hmm. power. One of the episodes that I was thinking about was really showing the powers where he uses it, but I feel like he uses it quite a lot in this episode too, and you get the sense of what is oh, yeah. going on and kind of what the deal is with that. It takes no time how, at all to pick up on what he's doing. <laughs> how familiar were you with the powers? I know you talked about it a little bit before, but was that a big thing that you knew about? Uh, I mean, I kind of only knew like how the comics started and then like just the basic ideas of what his powers are, where his powers came from. Uh, not a lot about how they evolve or what even his quest is. Okay. Is it weird? I don't entirely know too much of the origin of the Genesis. I just know that it, it's like this nameless power that got loose. They show a clip in the beginning where it tries to um, embody a different host but the man like explodes so obviously it's struggling to find like an actual host body that can contain it mm-hmm. and then eventually it finds its way into Jesse here our lead uh, and then sort of the first season is kind of learning oh what's this about like what's going on um, a lot about his backstory is growing up being a religious child and kind of growing up to take over this position that his father once held and all that kind of stuff and at the end the last thing that we are learning is that he's on this quest to find god because god is missing or lost whatever you'd prefer but lost available on on the off download now (laughs) he's in search of jazz as we found out yes he's looking for jazz (laughs) or strippers or both um So that's kind of where the story left off. These three are on a quest to find God. And it leads them on all crazy antics throughout the second season. And obviously in this episode, we'll get to the key adversary for the season as well. But let's just go kind of piece by piece through the episode a little bit. Uh, You see them leaving the, the town of Texas, wherever they're from, and heading out. And we get odd conversations about circumcision. Um, and the come on Eileen car chase and all that. Was this a welcome surprise for you? Like, what was your immediate thought about, like, this is the episode we're watching at probably three in the morning whenever <laughs> yeah. you watched it? Well, you know, it was welcome because I think one of the reasons why I didn't get in the show is that I don't have a problem with really heavy shows, but it's one of these things you have to be in the mood for. Like that's the thing with game of Thrones. I can't just be like, Oh, I just want to watch a whole season of game of Thrones. Cause 
it, the more dramatic and serious and dark it is, I mean, the harder it can be to watch back-to-back-to-back episodes. And even knowing this came from a comic, the way that the comic always sounded to me sounded much darker than this. Uh, so just the conversation they had in the car, and then, like you said, come on, Eileen playing, I was like, whoa, this show's actually very quirky and comedic. And uh, I didn't even realize that, you know, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg created this show, uh, which explains the kind of comic tone they have. And, you know, as we get into some of the violence later on, I think that's one of the other things that helps is that the show is very graphic, very violent. But because it has this very quirky comic tone to it, it makes it a lot easier to watch. And I think they can get away with more. If you do something like, you know, uh, a, a person's intestines hanging out of the back of a car on The Walking Dead or something like that, well, you're you're going to have people a little bit more uh, uptight than if they're kind of just making it a joke. So I love that the show was comedic, and I, I didn't expect it at all. I, I honestly cannot say I know much about the comics, so you're going to probably be more of the comic, comic expert of the two of us. Uh, do you know if the comic is this dark, sinister story, or is it more of a lighthearted, like, fun... Not like it's like a, like a, a comic, like a Garfield comic <laughs> or anything, but is it more like a... I don't know, cinematic, like, well, action-y thing. I, again, having not read the comic, I can go but just based off of, like, this is technically a DC Comics property, but DC has another company called Vertigo that they use to release the comics that are basically what you would consider R-rated comics. And Vertigo Comics it, it would tend to be a lot darker and more sinister and less funny uh you know obviously like you said funny this isn't like you know uh, peanuts or something like that (laughs) but (laughs) yeah but you know uh, and and it's certainly not even going as far as deadpool but it's just it's i mean the preacher comics obviously they they're they will at some point i'm i'm gonna guess get into more over the top cartoony type comics it's really hard to articulate how (laughs) well let's take have you ever see suicide squad no okay well anybody who saw suicide squad perfect example is you can do a character like killer croc which is a man crossed with a crocodile um in a comic but when you put it into a live action movie that is presenting itself as very reality based and real world it doesn't translate as well so i don't know if the tv show ever gets into like monsters or stuff like that uh but this has I think more of a balance it did it doesn't feel like a comic book adaptation to me this feels like you know somebody like Robert Rodriguez who made like From Dusk Till Dawn and Sin City it feels a lot more like that to me like it's gritty but it just has that little bit of a a quirky edge to it as opposed to just being a full-fledged comic adaptation whereas from what I've seen just even just visually looking at it the Preacher comics feels more like a comic book like dark superhero there's not a lot of uh, kind of extraterrestrial or I don't even know what to call it, but there's no sort of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no uh, demons or, or monsters. It's really just, from what I have seen so far, I haven't seen the latest season. It's really just human-based things with this sort of supernatural like undertone, mm-hmm. obviously 
this Genesis is some sort of like science fiction esque thing. The saint of killers like is someone plucked straight out of hell. Like it's got these weird tones to it that make it like fiction, obviously not reality, but it's all people based. It's all sort of this just gratuitous stuff that people would do, not necessarily like the creature from the black lagoon or anything like that. Like more real world and less like, the way that I would have envisioned that a Vertigo comics adapted into a TV show on AMC would have looked would have been something more similar to Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Angel. And this feels to me more like The Walking Dead with a supernatural power as opposed to zombies. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair assumption. And curious to see, like, maybe if I did some research to see how related to the comics it is, because I know that The Walking Dead is criticized for following none of the mm-hmm. comics really uh it'd be curious to i'd be curious to know if this does follow it uh maybe as the expert you can enlighten us uh since you've read every single yeah. story but like this was uh, in the works for years because i remember before the tv show came out they tried for a long time to make a movie out of this it's interesting i did not know that uh who would have played would it have still been the same cast you think actually or? just looking up right now um mm-hmm. No, so this would have been like more than 15 years ago. Uh, they had oh, wow. uh, James Marsden. You're familiar with James Marsden? That sounds so familiar. I can't place. So he in the original X-Men movies, he played Cyclops. Uh, he was in Hairspray. He's uh, in The Notebook, which we covered <laughs> recently. <laughs> Available on the Austin Network. Yeah, if you Google James Marsden, you're going to instantly look at this guy, and you're going to be like, okay, I know who that is. But I... He he comes across a l- not quite dark enough to do something like this. Hold on, I'm doing my James Marsden Google search right now. And if people want to hear more about James Marsden, listen to mine and Ben's coverage of the Notebook recap that just came out a couple weeks ago, where we basically talk about James Marsden being the greatest man who ever lived. Wow! Oh, we love James Marsden. But we also love you, Dominic Cooper. <laughs> we do. What do you have a, a, a story to tell of your love for? Um, well, Cooper. My familiarity with him is from two things that I wouldn't say I I love him in it, but I love that this is an actor who did these things because he was, uh, I think, originally the uh, first Captain America movie. He played Howard Stark, which is Tony Stark's father, and then later appeared on the Agent Carter TV show that was a spinoff of Captain America. Uh, but most importantly, uh, he played Ian Fleming in the four-part miniseries biopic of Ian Fleming, the creator of James Bond. So this is the man that created James Bond, uh, at least as far as one <laughs> miniseries. Uh, quite a story. <laughs> That's actually a good kind of segue that you bring up, Cooper, because I wanted to talk a little bit about the characters kind of before going a little bit further, just because we have these three main characters, which are going to be the characters that we follow for the rest of the show uh, and one of the characters that really stands out is cassidy uh the the one with the umbrella if you are at yep. the point of the story that we've told uh i don't know if they talk about him too much about who he is do you have any like red flags like who is this what's going on here questions about him i mean he's clearly some type of vampire or zombie or something like that i mean i, I guess zombies aren't for sunlight i'm guessing vampire 
Um, maybe a sidekick, maybe uh, a best friend. Uh, let me just take a guess and say this was his best friend growing up, and he got bitten by a vampire, um, and Jesse brought him back to life somehow through... <laughs> The Genesis power and telling the coroner bring him back to life. This is just all speculation here. No, but you're creating a really good prequel yeah. <laughs> uh, show. Because <laughs> I think I, I I get that Tulip, you know, his girlfriend. Okay, they obviously, you know, had probably been together before this, but this this plays like Cassidy is the friend who's tagging along, but yet he's a vampire, so or at least seems to be a vampire. So is he somebody he knew and then this happened to him after the fact, or did he come across him, try to kill him one day, and then realize, hey, we should, you know, uh go on the road together. It'll be fun. <laughs> you seem like a good guy. So you are right about him. He's like a hundred and something year old vampire uh, who just shows up like i cannot specifically remember if there was any sort of big story that showed him but he just all of a sudden was there in season one kind of helping along working with jesse through doing whatever he had to do during season one and you know obviously trying to stay out of the sun and do whatever but he was just always he just showed up and then just got really close to jesse i think he was living in the church at the time because there was a church which is the big set piece for the season one so he would live there. Um, but he just, there's no backstory that I can remember right now that there's like, oh, they were best friends. And then he was in the sun too long. And then now he's a vampire or something like that. Uh, but there is a lot of these like overlaps of relationships. Cause in the, the quote you mentioned about the stupidest thing you ever said, there's obviously that relationship that uh, Tulip had with Cassidy at one point before all the dots were connected about who was who and how they knew each other and stuff. So that's an interesting trio. You could say he's definitely the third wheel in a weird way, Mm -hmm. but also not at the same time. He's just a good comic relief, uh, especially when he's in flames, uh, which was kind of the set, kind of a prop that they used in this uh, first kind of intense scene of the, police uh shakedown uh where jesse gets to flex out all of his powers uh what were your some of your stand were there any standouts of the power use throughout this episode that you were like oh that's cool that they did that or something uh i mean every time he uses it it's cool but i like that there's different reactions to it like in the opening scene um well the first time he used it i guess where he's it's playing almost like a, a joke or I, I what, he, didn't he say something about like uh, touch your balls and then you two guys hold hands and then he told one guy to sing a song, uh, and he's basically doing this just to mess with people. But then later, you know, there's the conversation which also was played a little bit funny between him and uh, I keep wanting to call her Violet, but she's Tulip, uh, the other flower. Uh, him and Tulip, Rose, Rose, yeah. Um, where she's like, no, this th- there's something creepy about using that power, like, and you start to get the idea that even though the, the conversation between them is more a little bit funny like come on just don't do it and he's like why why it'll make things a lot easier so yeah but it's cheating and it's not right it's mind manipulation and you just listen to her say mind manipulation you think to yourself maybe this isn't so ethical for him to just do this just because he feels like it so more than anything i love the way that there's different reactions to this genesis power 
in the fir- one of the first instances of him using it when he wasn't right now he's un- in control of it where he's able to kind of slip in and out like use it not use it at the beginning he really struggled with being able to control it or not sure what the effects of it were because one drawback of what he does is that what he says is very literal mm-hmm. um, so one of the first instances that we saw in the show was there was this guy who was having problems with his mother like she was being mean to him or whatever I, I don't remember exactly and he says to this guy show her your heart so he goes all the way out to fly flies across the country to see her and he gets down at the nursing home where she lives and he takes a knife and cut out cuts his own heart out <laughs> and gives it to her well, they get into that a little uh, bit here too, like when they're at the gas station, and he tells the, the guys, you know, on their cases, like, pretend that we're not even here, and then the guy just goes about his business, even when they're inside trying to talk to him again. It's like, well, great, now you screwed us over. Now the guy won't even listen to us because he thinks we're not here. And when, it obviously comes into play a little bit later when the the killer's guy comes back, mm-hmm. and like, there's a bit of like he doesn't actually know what's going on, like he's genuinely like, I don't remember them. Like, so he wouldn't be able to identify. Mm-hmm. What was I saying? Where are we going? About uh, a guy pulling his heart out. <laughs> yeah, it was very literal. It is very literal. You're correct about that. Anyway, I don't remember where I was going. <laughs> anyway, moving on. The show. Uh, so we have the whole car chase. The killer's ar- killer guy arrives and started shooting all the police. People are dying. Uh, the car that what's his Cassidy's in getting beat up, and he, the the light is coming in, so he's got to hide under the car. The car's funny sequence where the car is pushing, and he's trying to use one of the dead cops' his head to stop the car, but it, that doesn't work. Uh, and then obviously Tulip doesn't want to leave the car, so she siphons gas with the intestines, <laughs> uh, which I still think is so gross. It's crazy, though, because this is what I was saying about how the comic tone helps them to get away with more things that otherwise you'd be like, oh, you push that too far. Because they do play this as a joke, but it's just the right balance. Because later on, when they're in the gas station after this, and she's just trying to get this taste out of her mouth and drinking everything on site, that could have been played really funny. But instead, it was sort of like, yeah, yeah, I get that that's, you know, that's clever. That's a that's a well-played joke. But... That then they make it logical too, where it just keeps going on and on. So it doesn't come across either too uh, grotesque or too funny. And I think that all around, that's what impressed me about the show is just this balance of being a little bit quirky and a little bit violent and disturbing, but not so much that it's going to bother you either way. Yeah, we don't actually get to see it. We just kind of mm-hmm. hear about it. I mean, obviously, then, we see please, the visual. Yeah. You see uh, a little bit of a red line around her mouth for half the episode, <laughs> and uh, and the it like the tailpiece of the car kind <laughs> yeah. of dragging as they drive away. Uh, but we don't actually see her siphoning gas mm-hmm. out of a car with it. Um, is what I was referring to, uh, and obviously this kind of intestine moment plays a little bit into Cassidy's character because he gives her the tip of the hot sauce and chocolate milk. <laughs> which does the trick and manages to get the taste out uh, quickly after he will then kill the owner's cat to uh, fix his injuries. Uh, 
that's one thing that Cassidy is able to do when he's hurt. All he has to do is just drink blood and he'll be fine. It'll heal all the wounds he has. So in the store, he pulls out the whatever that was in his gut and then he immediately kills the cat and is fine. You know, there was a lot of blood left over from those intestines. Couldn't he have just given that a lick? Uh, That would be too easy. (laughs) They, They need to make it more complicated just for plot purposes. Yeah. And then there's a, the, the funny joke when they're leaving and Jesse's like, you got some whiskers on your face. <laughs> like you said, playing like a simple thing, not not over the top, but like a, just enough to balance the humor and the grossness mm-hmm. of it. Uh, we also got some great cat stock sound effects if, in this episode, which I really enjoyed. Uh, and then they eventually get to one of their next stop, actual places that they were trying to get to is... Mike, I think his name was the scholar, the religious scholar. I think is that his purpose was, and we find um, Ashley in this episode in the uh, lovingly covered cage. Oh, that's the cage girl. <laughs> yes. Uh, your thoughts on this? <laughs> this was my favorite part of the whole episode. <laughs> of course, it's it's such a weird idea, but. First of all, the actor who plays the the minister guy here who's locking people up. I mean, he's one of these actors who appears at a million things. He's probably most well-known for the TV show 24. So every time I see him, I'm like, oh, that's the guy from 24. Because I think he was in almost every single season of 24. But it's just so clever, this idea that we, we have this contact. We have to, you know, meet him. This guy's not what you'd expect. He's like, you know, this uh, a crazy... Uh, minister or whatever who is locking people up but it's not against their will it's like we're coming to you with our problems and i I love his descriptions like you know what what do people come to you for it's like well i lock them in cages you know if they are struggling with something and they need my help like drugs sex twitter (laughs) and then we get two examples we get the girl in the cage and then we get the um, the other one, I, th- I don't know if she was in a cage or she's just locked her. No, she would have been in a cage, yeah. And she's just begging, like, I just need my phone for five minutes to go on Instagram. And like, you know, in a weird way, I think this guy's method probably works. <laughs> and he's such a cool, like, I hope, does he come back in the show? The guy? The guy, the, 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 the reverend guy. It, who traps the girl in the yeah. cage? He kills himself in this episode. Does he? Oh, see, that's what happens when you watch at three thirty in the morning. Great. Yeah, he kills himself. Was he in it prior to this episode? No. Oh well, he's too good to be wasted on one episode. I want to see the backstory of him because he has this relationship with Jesse going into this. That's the story, right? Like he was a friend of yeah, his father's or something. Yeah, some family friend that he knew or something. Oh, see? Yeah, but he, this was the one and only episode for him. I watch A Quiet Place and miss that there's a deaf girl. I watch this and miss that somebody killed themselves. This is you crazy. You need to watch things normal. <laughs> <laughs> got to pay attention. Start watching things at a decent hour and not 3.30 in the morning. It's not my or fault. Or on the way to work. Yeah, it, <laughs> watch it on the way to work. Just put it on while I'm driving. It's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but I mean, I love this character. It was so much fun to, and... I got to be honest, maybe because I thought this whole sequence was great, all the the exposition that they're giving here where they're talking about, you know, where is God? What did he do? I don't get whether they're talking about some angel phone or whatever, but like they laid all the groundwork for what's going on or what they're 
going to be doing for the rest of the season, just from what I gather. Uh, and then this character just having this weird thing where he locks people in cages, but he's not this creepy guy. You know, he's actually doing this to help them. And then just the way that he just blows it off, like it's no big deal. And it's like, well, why do you cover the cage? Like, th- there's all these weird conversations about, yeah, but this doesn't make sense. He goes, he's just one of these guys like, you know what? It makes perfect sense, okay? And I, I, I honestly believe that this this method may work. You know, if I ever struggle with Twitter or Instagram, I want him to lock me in a cage. Covered, though. Just a covered cage. The entire conversation was pretty great. I loved when, after they go inside the house, he's like, Come inside the house. You won't be able to hear her too much. Um, and then, you know, the first thing that he's doing is like giving the tour. He's like, all right, that's the bathroom. That's my dog, Edgar, or whatever the name was. And then that's the kitchen. And, and Tulip's like, wait, hold on. Can we talk about something that isn't the dog or the rooms or the house tour? And then it's like, then Cassidy later on is like, why don't you just put her in a cellar, chain her to the wall? And he's like, this is works best. Why cover it? He's like, this is works best. Yeah. <laughs> Why like, would you I know the cage? Because it works. <laughs> and let's let's also not. I think I would know. Yeah, let's also not gloss over. Maybe one of the best lines I've heard in a long time, where the girl in there is like, "Please just give me my phone for five minutes. I need to update Instagram." And he goes, "Say your prayers, like I told you. Nobody wants to see photos of a sick girl in a dark cage." And then Cassie's like, uh, "Actually, you'd be surprised." <laughs> I'm like, "That is so good." You could have just left it on the nobody wants to see pictures of a sick girl in dark cage, and that's funny. You throw in the rebuttal of, well, you'd be surprised. I'm like, that was brilliant. Yeah, that's like the, the joys of Cassidy. You, you kind of get all these cool nuggets of what he'll say, what he'll do. <laughs> he, he's the character that probably goes out and does the craziest stuff, maybe because he's almost immortal. I don't know. But he's just such a fun character. I love him so much, and the fact that he's like, this like Irish, like uh, vampire in the middle of Texas is just like a weird, fun thing too. Mm-hmm. And the umbrella is, is the umbrella a gimmick with him. Well, that's kind of his thing. That's he what he wears, has when during the day. He did it all kind of throughout season one because it's very sunny in Texas, so he has to cover up so he doesn't burn. Mm-hmm. And that's what I didn't expect because again, I didn't know. You know, he was a vampire. I don't even remember if they alluded towards it earlier on. So when the cops are taking them out of the car earlier on and uh, they're trying to take the umbrella away, he's like, uh, if you take that away, the sun's going to burn me up. And they're like, yeah, sure. And they take it away. And all of a sudden, he just bursts into flame and screws, ah, and dives into a car. Hilarious just because I love people burning. But uh, also, like, it caught me <laughs> off guard. I'm like, wait, this character wasn't what I thought he would be. Yeah, definitely a 180 when you first learn about who he is, mm-hmm. especially in a random rewatch like this not a you know a continual you'll know it'll probably come across clearer when you actually watch it Mm -hmm. uh at at four in the morning maybe we'll see uh you paid attention well to this one so we'll see about the others uh so at the end of the day this guy that their house is he's got no help for them he's like i can't help you you stay in the night and then the three of them end up sleeping in this one bed that's super cramped um Eventually, they'll learn about Tammy, who is at the She She's uh, strip club. Uh, eventually, they'll go there. But before they do, the Saint of Killers arrives at Mike's house because he's on the trail of the preacher and confronts this guy. Apparently, there's some weird thing that, pre- that Mike guy knew 
and was ready for him. And here we get the big title card that this is the Saint of Killers who is plucked straight from hell, which you wouldn't have seen season one. Um, mm-hmm. And then sort of this confrontation takes place where they're looking for Jesse, but he won't tell because they're close family, friends or whatever. So there's that trust there. And any, and the end of the day, he kills himself with the knife and we no longer see him. And eventually that girl in the cage will probably also die because no one's going to take her out. <laughs> Good point. Didn't think of that. This show just got really dark. So we lost uh, three characters in one swoop <laughs> and we move on. They head to Tammy's, which is the uh, strip club. Apparently God was at a strip club. <laughs> For the jazz. Um, we don't know that yet. Oh, there's that. a tease. There's going to be a twist in the season. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. Just... Anyway, so they get to chatting to this woman at the strip club. Um, and there's this whole thing about she's saying things like she was in the cage too, which is weird. And then this sort of whole side sequence takes place at the same time, which I thought was really great. This is probably my favorite scene of the whole episode is this kind of inter- interrogation in this office. And then the whole... Uh, conversation that happens with that with the tv monitor and then them having the conversation the fight in the background yeah which you would realize is cassidy at the time you don't realize it but it's cassidy with the one of the strippers yeah uh and it's just a great sequence of how like this time since this is my like second rewatch of the episode i was like specifically just paying attention to the tv every time it cut back to it just to see how that would progress but it was so great seeing the interaction. Like they're talking to her about what what's been going on, and then in the background you see Doug fight with Cassie, and then this stripper is just there trying to defend herself. It's just a great sequence. And in the end, she gets shot from the gun, and the TV being shot, and there's just like that sequence of it. It was so great. I I love the sequence. Um, did this hit on your nail of the comedy plus the yeah. Uh, the story, the darkness of it all. Yeah, and I think people, if you haven't seen the episode, why are you listening to us talk about it? Uh, you're spoiling it for yourself. Um, but They just came for me. Yeah, it's, it's this Rossi's fan base all tuning in. But um, <laughs> even if you you know watch Preacher, but you don't remember this episode, if I were to pinpoint a perfect example of how the comedy and dark tone works in this show, this would be it. Because like you said, there's two scenes going on at the same time. There's the interrogation scene... Uh, with the lady there that uh, Jesse and Tulip are in. And then there's that background fight. And every once in a while, there's a mention of it. Like, I love that this lady keeps saying, Doug, quit fooling around in there. And you're seeing, like, this fight go on and all the the monitors in the background. But your attention's not drawn to it the whole time. You know, the way that a regular comedy would have played this scene, it would be like whatever the, the Jesse and Tulip are talking about with the lady is insignificant. And it's just them babbling and your attention's all on this fight scene in the background that nobody's paying attention to. Uh, But everything they're saying is just as important. So it's only in the moments they decide to really focus on the fight that you remember, oh, that's actually kind of funny that this is just going on in the background. This is a perfect example of how the show doesn't lose its uh, dramatic tone and it doesn't lose the comic tone. It's actually a perfect blend. Yeah, I can picture, as you say it, I can picture, like, the sitcom interpretation of this. Yeah. 
being the Doug, get in here, and then it cuts to the fight, and and like Doug's thrown against the wall or something, and and then it goes back to the conversation. It's like Doug, Doug. And you know what? This yeah. this just came to me, but you've seen the Men in Black movies? Yes, it's been a long time. Okay, but the first Men in Black movie, there's a guy who's pulled over on the side of the road. He's supposedly an alien, and his wife's giving birth in a car. So Will Smith, who's the rookie, was told just help her through the labor. Tommy Lee Jones is sitting there talking to the husband. Just about nothing. Like, they're just a, okay, so tell me a little bit more about what's going on. And they're having a conversation which would, you know, to the audience, you don't care what's going on. And in the background, Will Smith is basically getting ripped apart by tentacles coming off of this woman. That's in the background, but that's the joke. And the conversation they're having in the foreground doesn't matter at all. That's perfect example of the way a comedy would play this. But instead, they have the conversation that's happening in the foreground here being more important than the comedy that's in the background. Yeah, it was just always fun. It was so fun to see the long shots that they have where you could see the screens and then you could see the like them still having the conversation about it. And then we get into this other com- another conversation of where they're talking about should I use this on her? Mm-hmm. Uh, which was a great conversation where like the debate the of whether Genesis is debate. yeah. Yeah, like if it's moral to use it or whatever. Uh, and they go back and forth about like, well, you could beat her up. <laughs> She's like, she's an old woman. <laughs> she's not that old. And then, bang, the gun goes off. She gets shot. I don't even know how this place is set up that she would get shot in this situation, but somehow she does. Yeah, it happened a little too quick for me to follow what was going on. And it was 3 a.m. And it was 3 a.m., yeah. Uh, maybe it was 4 by this time. <laughs> Probably slightly past 4, but I was getting drowsier. <laughs> um. But it, she reveals that God loves jazz. Uh, he wasn't there for the women. He was there for the jazz. Can you blame him? Um, uh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. If, why would you go to a strip club for jazz music? But it does set up kind of the rest of the second season because the, most of the second season will take place in New Orleans the home of jazz. Ooh, there's the plot twist. Dun, dun, dun. Not really. But they they do go throughout New Orleans because that's where you would go for jazz music as you go to New Orleans. Um, and I know I said that the wrong way. New I know Orleans? That people, yeah. Uh, we'll get, people will get at me in the comments. <laughs> I'm waiting for it. Uh-uh. <laughs> All those Rossi fans just tuned out now. They're like, can't yeah, even everyone... say New Orleans. New Orleans. Well, that's very Boston. If you, <laughs> I'm just gonna mess up every city. Anyway, <laughs> Toronto. Toronto. <laughs> I'm alienating all city fans. Melbourne. <laughs> uh, that's about all cities I know. <laughs> you know four places in the world. Yeah. Like four corners. I know the four corners of the world. Toronto, New Orleans, Melbourne. <laughs> anyway. Russia. <laughs> All right, back to the jazz. Uh, you think they got jazz in Russia? <laughs> Where'd you get Russia from? Uh, <laughs> this is not some Bond set where they travel across the world. Oh, in but... one, in one movie. I want to see the crossover with Ian Fleming as Preacher. <laughs> I mean, it has the potential. 
you have Ian Fleming as a preacher in this in this show. So is Dominic Cooper British? I think so. He does a good American accent in this because I couldn't have. T- I mean, everything I've seen him in, other than the Fleming miniseries, he was American. And I mean, you could convince <laughs> me that he just did a good British accent and he was actually American. Who knows? I'm pretty sure he is British, but I'm not going to look it up to double check. Two I'm just going to say that he is. In three, yeah, in the next- two, one. Dominic Cooper from Greenwich, Eng- Greenwich, London, England. Get it right, Colin. <laughs> Greenwich is the way that we pronounce it. <laughs> like New Orleans, Melbourne, and Toronto. <laughs> oh. oh, the pride of Greenwich. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We gotta Back end this on topic. <laughs> I gotta pee really bad. <laughs> Speed this along. All right. Thank, thanks for bringing it in the gutter. Um, <laughs> Can you just use the Genesis power to convince me that I don't have to pee right now? Yes. You gotta deepen you your voice to do it. You don't. I don't what? <laughs> See, it's gonna be too literal. Oh, okay, we're done. Okay, we gotta move on. All right, we're ending this. <laughs> He loves jazz. The woman dies. They leave. They go to this motel. Uh, a fun scene where they have sex and, t- and Cassidy listens. And- <laughs> this is what happens when Rossi speeds along. A fun scene where they have sex and Cassidy listens. And then the killers arrives and then the episode ends. Now. Now you got What'd me. you think? Um, okay, so the interrogation scene, uh, the, the fight scene in the background... From that point on, I have, like, no notes. So the show started to lose me a little bit, um, but I wasn't, like, deducting points or anything because it really had me up until that point. Keeping score. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, this is the way a lot of shows are is, you know, I guess TV shows in general, it's not like – because the old, the old days of TV, which let's just say everything pre-serialized TV, so pre-24, Lost, Alias, those shows that really started, like, the serialized format – you had a one-off episode, and it just ended. Therefore, the last five, ten minutes of your episode would be what you really had to pay attention to. Now, with a serialized show like this, um, the last ten minutes is more or less the setup for the next episode. So I wasn't really that bothered when I'm like, oh, this is slowing down a little bit here. Because uh, the most important thing is outside of that really fun scene where they have sex, right? Uh <laughs> Which, it was a fun scene. I did. I, I I love when she's like, I'm going to go lock myself in the bathroom or something. Or she's like, you know what I love to do? I like to lock myself in the bathroom. And then he just breaks through the door. Oh, it was so much fun. Uh, which, uh, can we also just talk about how good Tulip is? Like, if there's one character or I'd say more actor that I came away from this being like, man, I love them. It's it's Ruth Nega. The only thing I've ever seen her in was the movie she got nominated for an Academy Award for a couple of years ago called Loving. Which, when I heard about this movie, I'm like, ugh, it's a movie called Loving. Like, I don't even want to watch that. Uh, but it had another actor in it, Joel Edgerton, who's one of my favorites, who's, you know, he was the Uncle Owen in the prequel Star Wars movies, but he's since made a name for himself in, like, Warrior and uh, uh, what was that one with Will Smith uh, that they had on Netflix, Bright. Um, so many great movies, Black Mass. Uh, so I saw it because of him, and it's a true story about, I guess, uh, one of the early interracial married couples and just the legal things they had to go through in order to be recognized as marriage and, you know, not thrown in jail. Uh, movie was fantastic, and she got an Oscar nomination for it. Never really seen her in anything else. This is completely different, but she is so good in this show. Like, I would watch more just for her. 
Uh, and this, not the sex scene, but just the way she locks herself in the bathroom too. You know, it's just, it's a fun character. Funny. Well, it's a fun character. I mean, Cassidy's a f- fun character as well, but I don't feel like he could really carry any emotional weight with the show. And just from first impressions, I feel like the Tulip character, you know, this is the person who's tagging along. This is the the one who's uh, the the POV of the audience. She's the average person who's tagging along. Maybe I'm wrong, and she ends up being the most powerful being in the universe. She's like the Thanos of the Preacher universe or something. But uh, I thought her character was great. I thought that Ruth Nega's fantastic in this. Uh, But it did lose me a little bit just because this seemed more like the setup for the next episode. But then that final scene where, you know, he's down the road and he keeps trying to use the Genesis power on the, the, that killer guy. And he just keeps walking. It's like, first of all, you're like, whoa. I mean, I've seen one episode and I realize this shouldn't be happening. This guy should be listening to him. Uh, and then the gunshot and everything. I'll, I'll be honest. I, as soon as this episode ended, I immediately started watching the first five minutes of the next one. Because I'm like, I got to see what happens. And of course, five minutes into the next one. They move on past this, and it starts a new story. I'm like, okay, now I can go to sleep again. But uh, no, like the 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 end or the ending, the cliffhanger really had me. And I wouldn't say between this and Into the Badlands last week that I would be more likely to watch all of Preacher now. Uh, you know, I'm gonna have a lot of not free time, but uh, <laughs> late nights where I'm gonna have to busy myself with screaming twin babies and screaming twin toddler Casper and screaming Jamie uh we're all need things like this to watch between into the badlands and preacher I'm probably more likely to watch into the badlands just because the premise is so unique and I really want to see where that show goes but between last week's episode and this one this was the one where I'm like okay I gotta see at least what happens next and I did immediately jump into the first five minutes of episode two you're ruining next week's episode, Colin. I was going to pick the one after this. Oh, well, it's my pick, so you're going to wait. <laughs> hey, you got two picks in a row. So no did fear. you. We I did like... Into the Badlands last week, remember? <laughs> I get more than you. Because <laughs> you have the fan base, right? Yeah. I have the fans in Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> I will agree with you. Ruth is such a, a shine in this in this show she's so great uh, obviously there's a lot more storylines to come with her in the second season there's a lot of interesting stuff that happens with her character Desi and all them she's just great I, now, there's a lot of backstory that you don't get to see unfortunately but well you will when you watch it with Screaming Family now did, do you know anything about her outside of this show like the actress or her other roles any of that I knew of the movie you talked about. I haven't Loving. seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen. I feel like I've seen some of her stuff. I can't name it off the top of my head, but I know that she's a really great actress. Well, I guess she was on uh, Agents of Shield briefly. She was in the movie Warcraft. Um, the thing I, when I was uh, just looking all oh, the show up on Wikipedia and everything, I'm like, okay, well, other than Loving, do I know her from anything else? I'm like, no, not really. But then I clicked on the personal life section on Wikipedia. And this was crazy. She actually dated Dominic Cooper for six years before they made this show. They were together from 2010 until 2016. They basically broke up. That means they would have broken up as a couple either before they did the show or just after they started doing this show. And like their chemistry here as a couple who was together for six years, these are exes. 
and they have this great chemistry together. Apparently, they're still you know very good friends still to this day, despite not dating each other anymore. But I'm like, that's crazy. I mean, I thought when I saw they were in a relationship, I'm like, oh, they met on the show. I'm like, no, the show broke them up. Apparently, <laughs> they were together for six years prior to that. Yeah, see, this show does crazy things. Someone used Genesis on that. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be together anymore, but your chemistry will be solid. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's it. Uh, that's Preacher. We got to rate the episode. Oh, yeah. Well, last week I rented Strong Rent for Into the Badlands, and I almost feel like I want to change my Into the Badlands rating and bump it up to a buy it just because – Ever since we watched that a week ago, um, I keep thinking to myself, man, I really want to watch more of that show, but I just don't have the time right now. Uh, but if I had to pick that episode or this one, which one really, like, I I did tune out of because I had to go to work. You know, I tuned out of Into the Badlands, you know, uh, after the first 15 minutes or whatever and then picked it up. With this, when I started, I was just trying to get back to sleep. I woke up in the middle of the night, was trying to get back to sleep. I'm like, okay, I'll get a few minutes in. But it just it, it perked me up. So even though I think the Into the Badlands is far more interesting and probably better overall as an episode, this one was just so much fun. Like I'd easily buy this. Wow. Uh, but you can't change your um, no it's Into the in Badlands, <laughs> unfortunately, because I tried to change and you would never let me. <laughs> um, and I too will join you in buying this because I will probably. Most of the episodes of the show I will probably buy. I think I said that last week too. Uh, but yeah, it's a great episode. Obviously there are some that are probably maybe better standalones to do a random episode recap of. Like there's some episodes that I thought about were really great on its own. But in order to give you a sense of the show that I knew you were partly interested in, this was probably a really good one. And apparently it worked because you bought it. Yeah. And I'll go back and watch it. I might skip season one just because you said season one's kind of a throwaway. I mean, I feel like if I already know where they're at at the beginning of season two, there's a very good chance I'll just keep watching from season two on. How far into the show have you seen? Because it's it's going to have a fourth season, right? But have you seen the third one or are you only two seasons in? I have two seasons in. Okay. So I have not seen the third. Yeah, I saw the last episode of season two recently, which has a very dramatic cliffhanger. You thought this was a dramatic cliffhanger. Finale of season two. Woo. Oh, if If I can get caught up by the time it's over, then maybe we'll even do a season four finale recap. It's possible if we can both get caught up by then. We'll see. We'll Don't see. hold your fingers out, uh, preacher fans. <laughs> but we may we may get to it. That, w- that would be fun to chat about. But uh, what do we have going on next week? Well, why don't we just announce the next two weeks? Um, well, you're sure we should? No cliffhanger? <laughs> no cliffhanger. Um, no. Because, well, we're just, we're going to have to, we'll just say this, we're going to have to get these out of the way because... Two, by the time this episode is out, or sorry, by the time our next two episodes are out, my twins will already be here, and we're going to have to scramble and figure out what else we're doing. But uh, the next two episodes are very closely connected. So uh, I think most people probably an hour at least familiar with the new Twilight Zone show that's come out, uh, which Jordan Peele, from, who did, of course, the movie Get Out, and he was on Key and Peele before that, he's hosting... And I guess executive producing the new Twilight Zone, it's getting bad reviews all around. And every episode I've watched has been pretty disappointing. But I'm a huge fan of the classic original Twilight Zone, which I only got into maybe about 10 years ago. 
just sort of downloaded the whole series and was finding something to watch before bed. And I've watched most of the classic Twilight Zone, like a hundred something episodes, multiple times. And there's one episode that the Twilight Zone, the classic series, is always known for, which was called Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet. So this is from the '60s series. Just give people to know, it aired in 1963. Um, it was season five, episode three. A uh, couple things that are sort of historic about this episode. One. The episode was directed by Richard Donner, who would later go on to make movies. He did the original Superman movie. He did the Goonies. He did all the Lethal Weapon movies. Uh, and it starred pre-Star Trek William Shatner. And I, I think that even if people have never watched The Twilight Zone and have never even heard about Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, they're going to know the premise of a guy on an airplane who keeps seeing some type of creature on the wing of the airplane. And he's trying to tell everybody, but when anybody else looks, it's never there. So is this guy crazy? Is this real and just nobody else can catch it? Who knows? The Simpsons parodied this with you know, a gremlin on the side of the bus. Uh, they did that in an episode too. Uh, so the Nightmare 20,000 Feet episode is so famous from the original Twilight Zone that when they made a Twilight Zone movie in the 80s, they adapted it into one of the segments. And on the new Twilight Zone TV series that Jordan Peele hosts, uh, it's all original material except they have an updated... I, get, I don't know if they're calling it like a reboot or a remake or whatever it is, but an updated episode called Nightmare at 30,000 Feet. So next week we're going to do the 1963 Nightmare at 20,000 Feet from the Twilight Zone, and then the following week we're going to do the Nightmare at 30,000 Feet, which they have replaced William Shatner with one of your favorites and mine, Adam Scott, who's coming back to Rad and Rewatches. So that's our next Yay. two weeks. Two Twilight Zones, 55 years apart. Both nightmares at tens of thousands of feet. I was like 10,000 feet difference. Yeah, 10,000 feet difference, 55 years. Uh, and I will say, I have watched most of the recent Twilight Zone TV series, but I skipped that episode because I wanted to wait to watch it after watching Nightmare at 20,000 feet first. Yeah, I want to see how much different altitude affects the show. Yeah. <laughs> and William Shatner to Adam Scott, like they traded up there. Yes. Agreed. Are you familiar with anything Twilight Zone? Um, I know that it's like cult loved mm-hmm. the OG series, so uh, it's kind of interesting. Because it's, it's an anthology. <laughs> That's all I know. Like, if people out there don't know, uh, it's an anthology series. I would consider it semi-sci-fi, but it's it's more sometimes just ironic stories. Um, but every single week, it's going to be a different story with a different cast, different characters, uh, no two-parters, no continuations. Uh, so it's this is going to be really easy because we're just going to watch one standalone episode. And it's the easiest thing to ever watch on a random rewatch because you will have to have no knowledge going in to understand the story. And there's going to be no follow-through after this one episode is over. Except for the Nightmare of 30,000 Feet, which is kind of a follow-up. Good. Then I'm in good speed. <laughs> We're all well prepared. Yeah, which means no preparation. Yeah, except watch the episode. Please prepare that way. Um, We'll see. As long as you say it's good. Well, I know that the first one is good. I don't okay. know about the second. I know that every other episode of the new Twilight Zone series has gotten bad reviews, and I haven't really enjoyed. But I have heard that this was the good one of the season so far. Okay. The only time I don't watch is if it's bad. <laughs> like the Great Vegetable Rebellion, the must-see episode of Lost in Space. 
I watched that. I know. And maybe we should do more of watch, that. Uh, well, wasn't it Battlefield Earth or whatever it oh, was? Oh yeah. Well, that was that month was dedicated to bad. I mean, yeah, and I only skipped that one. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we gotta get out of here. Sure. Uh, listen to the Oz Network. Bye. Your name is. No, 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 no. We're done, Colin. Just hang up. Your name is. I'm Colin. Goodbye. No, your name is. Colin. See, Genesis Power worked. I want to say. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.